Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hello, welcome to ASHP's Practice Journeys podcast. This podcast invites members to share their stories about their professional path, lessons learned, and how their experiences shaped who and where they are today. My name is Joanna Huang. I'm currently a hematology oncology pharmacist at Nebraska Medicine, and I underwent the match in 2018. I am a member of the New Practitioners Forum's Resident Advancement Advisory Group, or REG for short. In today's episode and the next two episodes, we will be talking about tips and advice for navigating the match. I'm joined today with three other RAG members, Alex, Corey, and Henry. Welcome. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves. Hey, everyone. I'm Alex Mills. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. I practice in ambulatory HIV management and LGBTQ plus health. And I underwent the match back in 2017 for my PGY1 and then again in 2018 for my PGY2. Hi, all. My name is Corey Guidry, and I'm an assistant professor at the University of Oklahoma College of Pharmacy, and I practice in internal medicine. I went through the match back in 2018 for my PGY1 and then again in 2019 for PGY2. Hello, everybody. My name is Henry Okorake. I'm currently a PGY1 acute care resident at the University of North Carolina Medical Center. I went through the match in 2020, and I am going through it again in 2021 as a PGY2. Thanks for joining us, you guys. So just a brief overview of the match. It was created in 2007, and essentially it is an online-based job placement platform for the placement of pharmacy residency candidates into a PGY1 or PGY2 program. Applicants interview at their prospective residency programs and rank their desired programs. And the programs in turn rank their most favorable candidates. And through a complex algorithm, applicants and programs are matched. Corey, I wanted to ask you, what is this algorithm exactly and what were your initial thoughts about it? Yeah, I'm happy to answer that, Joanna. Uh, In the simplest terms, just as you said, the match is an algorithm that matches potential residents into residency programs. It kind of works a little like this. The algorithm will first try to place an applicant into the program that is most preferred on that applicant's rank list. If there's a position available, then great. The applicant is tentatively matched and the algorithm will move on to the next applicant. However, if the applicant can't be matched to their first choice program, the algorithm will then try to place the applicant into their second choice program and so on until either a tentative match is made or all of the applicant's choices have been exhausted. It's, of course, a little more complex than that, as there are thousands of potential matches that are being made simultaneously. And I'll be the first to admit, trying to figure out this process was a little overwhelming to me whenever I was going through it. But I do have to say that the National Matching Services website definitely breaks it down into an easy-to-follow process. I truly encourage all residency candidates to check out their website, which showcases a really informative video and even lets you run an interactive test match to see how that matching process works. I totally agree, Corey. I remember feeling very overwhelmed initially before I took the time to actually learn more about the algorithm. And I think you did a fantastic job explaining that. What about candidates that are interested in the couples match? How does that algorithm work? 
The couples match can be used for two applicants who want to obtain positions in the same geographical area and works similarly to the match, but it relies a lot on collaboration between you and your partner's rank lists. Once you and your partner have identified the programs that you each want to rank, you would then need to create a list of possible paired choices that would be acceptable for you both. The couple must collectively rank each specific pair that they would like to be an option. So each individual will need to specify which program they're ranking for each specific pair. There may be duplicates and members can rank no match if they're okay with not matching for a specific pair. If ultimately only one partner can match to a program in a pair and no match is not selected, then neither partner will be matched to that pair. One point to consider if planning on going through this route is to include as many potential pairings as possible. For example, if you really, really want your number one program and it's in the same city or state as your partner's top five programs, you will need to include your number one program in at least five of the pairings. For example, you're number one with your partner's number two choice and you're number one with your partner's number three choice, et cetera, to make sure that you can match there, even if your partner matches with a later choice. For perspective, if you and your partner wanted to each rank 10 programs, they would need upwards of 90 pairings to make sure that every possible combination of those rankings existed. So you'll also need to consider planning for the scenario of either one of you not matching and include pairings with one person matching and the other person not matching to avoid the situation of one partner matching with their first choice program and that second partner either not matching at all or matching with a program that is not fair with the programs that match with partner one. So then both partners would then interface two. The National Matching Service website has a lot more information and provides great examples on how a couple would turn their rank list into a paired rank list. So I would check that resource out in order to learn more about the couples match. Wow. Couples match seems to be much more intensive up front, but it would definitely be worth it for significant others who may be geographically limited. What were some of your guys' strategy for creating your rank list? Yeah, for me, my plan was to make a list of each program I interviewed with, and then I tabulated how many of those had my must-haves for each program and used that as a quick way to start ranking. Now, these could be different for each person, but my must-haves included a strong and required teaching or academia experience, specific specialty rotations, and mentors with a passion for professional advocacy efforts. It's easy to think about the program's reputation or the people you know who may have completed their training there when making ranking decisions, but I think it really comes down to checking off those must-haves, and the rest is from your impression that, like, for example, I got by the end of my interview process. That way, you can objectively count up those characteristics and use that as a quick way to justify ranking positions. Alex, did you have any programs that you didn't like? Yeah, well, I'll talk about my PGY1 experience in a later episode, but for the PGY2 match process, yeah, I did have two programs that I did not rank because it just didn't feel like an experience I would enjoy for a year, and I had reminded myself at that moment to be selective. I think it's super important to emphasize that the process does favor the candidates' rankings first when applying that algorithm. I should also point out that the match is a binding commitment. So that makes it so much more important to not rank a program that you have absolutely no interest in being matched with for a whole year. Yeah, I actually use a very similar list of using must-haves, including rotations, 
number of co-residents, PGY2 offerings and staffing requirements, as well as nice to have such as strong pharmacy leadership, great relationships with physicians, strong research opportunities, and precepting and teaching opportunities, just like Alex did when determining where to apply. But then I supplemented that with my own thoughts, both during and after the interview day. I actually brought a padfolio during interviews, which I used to take a lot of notes about the day. And those contained all the questions I also wanted to ask each program. Using that padfolio kept me extremely organized and allowed me to compare and contrast programs when putting together my rank list. Henry, that's funny you mentioned that. I wish I had heard that piece of advice when I went through the match. I remember doing such a great job during mid-year carrying around my portfolio and taking notes, but when it came to the interviews, I did not do that. So when it came to making my list, I had to go off of my gut feeling, which don't get me wrong is something that you definitely want to consider, but it would have been easier to have notes about what my general feelings were, people that I got along with, and memorable parts of the interview. Did you guys have anything you wish you would have done differently with your rank list? I definitely wish I would have been more comfortable not ranking programs. There were definitely at least two programs where I would not have been happy for the year. And while I ranked them accordingly at the bottom of my list, I did not end up completely removing them. Well, after seeing the quality program still available in phase two, as well as hearing from people that did match with their last choice programs and regretted it, I definitely would have preferred going into phase two over matching into one of the programs where I already knew I wouldn't have enjoyed it. As an aside, there's no right number of programs to rank, and the match is a binding commitment, which is why it's super important to not rank if you feel like you won't like it or grow from it. So that's something that I'm keeping in mind while applying for PGY2 programs this year. Again, it will be up to each candidate to decide what exactly might be the line between not ranking a program and ranking them low. But preparing for submitting your rank list by making lists with those must-haves, nice-to-haves, and maybe some can't-haves while taking notes during interviews will be very helpful to you. And while ranking, always make sure that you remember that you don't have to rank every program, but deciding exactly when to avoid ranking a program is a very personal decision. To help make those very challenging decisions, it could be extremely helpful just to get the thoughts of your mentors or your friends if you find yourself having a hard time making choices. Yeah, I think Henry's completely right. As I explained earlier, the match algorithm will continue to try and place residency candidates in positions until their entire rank list is exhausted. So you should really carefully consider whether any of your potential programs have any deal-breaking elements when deciding whether or not to rank them. As for myself, I really wish I wouldn't have put so much stock into how I thought programs would rank me. Alex really hit the nail on the head earlier when he said that the match process is designed to favor the candidates ranking first and foremost. I think some candidates might get too invested in which places are their dream programs, and those are usually ones that are historically competitive, versus which are safe programs, and they may let it sway their decision. I personally remember going back and forth on whether or not I should rank programs higher because I felt safe since I interviewed well or ranking ones lower because I felt like they were out of my league, even if I liked those programs more. I think that at the end of the day, no one truly knows how the match will go. So all you can do is make sure that your rank list truly reflects your preferences. These are all really great points. What else should our listeners know about the match process? So the first thing to do is to understand the more likely outcomes. In 2020, 62% of all P4 students matched in phase one, 
And of those, 60% match with the number one choice. Historically, people that match ranked five places on average. So you can be confident that if you match, more than likely, you'll end up at a place that you love. I think something else worth mentioning is that there might be some residency candidates who at some point choose not to go through with the match process. Now, I think this can be for a variety of reasons. You know, maybe they were interviewing for non-residency positions and received a job offer that was just too good to pass up. Maybe they didn't feel like they interviewed with a program that was right for them. Or maybe they just decided that residency really wasn't something that they were interested in pursuing anymore. No matter the reason, candidates should realize that they are able to withdraw from the match if they choose to do so. A few things to keep in mind, though. So first, candidates can choose to withdraw themselves from phase one of the match, phase two of the match, or both phases. So even if you choose not to participate in phase one of the match, you still have the option to participate in phase two. Just know that when you withdraw from the match, your withdrawn status will be visible to programs who have included you on their rank list. But still, I would recommend that participants personally reach out to programs to let them know of their status, if they feel comfortable doing so, of course. So to withdraw from the match, you have to do it prior to your rank order list deadline for whatever phase you're currently in. So this is really important because if you don't withdraw yourself soon enough and you're matched with a program, you must accept that position per the ASHP match rules. So if you withdraw from either phase and for any reason change your mind, there actually is a way to reinstate yourself in the match, as long as once again you do it before the rank order lists are due. Just as before, this might be a little complex, but all this information and more can be found on that National Matching Service website. Yeah, I completely agree, Corey. And I think it's super helpful to know your withdrawal from the match isn't an all or nothing option. Knowing your limitations and when it's time to make a pivot is very important. I also think it's important to acknowledge that leading up to match day and the match day itself right around the corner can be a stressful experience. Use the time leading up to match day to develop healthy ways to de-stress, whether that's physical exercise, using mindfulness apps, and identifying even a safe group of friends or relatives to unplug are all great ways to stay well in this process. I also made the point to tell my preceptors for that month that I was participating in the match and that it would fall during a rotation day. Some preceptors may give students a day off, where others may modify some responsibilities given the stressfulness of the day. Lastly, everyone should prepare for some sort of plan B or game plan if you don't match in phase one. Now, we're going to talk about it in another episode, but the period between phase one ending and phase two beginning is quite short. So knowing who you're going to seek support from, how to navigate phase two programs, and what needs to change in your application materials are all things to consider, and having a solid plan in case will make you that much more prepared and successful if you need to go that route. Thank you so much, Alex, Corey, and Henry for joining us today and giving listeners such great advice. That's all the time we have today. Join us here at ASHP Official and the Practice Journey podcast as we learn about how our members seek out, grow, and evolve during their careers. Don't forget to view all the Match Day resources on ASHP website for helpful tips and resources to make this a successful residency match process for you. In our next episode, we will talk about what to do and think about after getting results on match day. And then our last episode is all about how to thrive if entering phase two and beyond in the match process. On behalf of ASHP, thank you for listening today. Best of luck with the match, and we hope you join us again soon. 
Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.